I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes, a true crime podcast. Welcome to season four. Yes. Welcome, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the Black Dahlia and the Zodiac. I did. I did, too. And you know what? That's what matters. That's what matters. We had fun. <laughs> we did have fun. It was a good time. <laughs> so we're back to a full-length season, and... We've got a lot of good cases in store for you. Claire tells me she has a theme. I do have a secret theme. I'm an into unintentional it. secret theme. Like it happened on accident. <laughs> yes, it was very accidental. I'll explain it when we get to those <laughs> cases, but it's it's one that you will not expect of me. For I'm excited. Sure. So, yeah. get ready everyone. Okay. <laughs> Mine does not have a theme. I have like so many very different cases, but that's okay. <laughs> for my first case, I picked a case that I have gone back and forth on for a while as to whether I wanted to cover it, mostly because it's like a bummer and not in a cool way. Like, it just makes you sad. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But then I kept thinking about how important this story is, not because really anything came out of it as like legislation wise or anything like that but because the victim is important to a lot of people and her life was just very very influential in terms of like breaking barriers for the latinx community and she's just the best so to kick off our season i will be telling you about the life and the tragic murder of the Queen of Tejano, Selena Quintanilla Perez. Oh, okay. I think I think you've had me listen to like one or two of her songs. Yes. But I don't I am not I'm not well versed about Selena. Excellent. Yes, I grew up on her music. I love her, and so I've probably forced you to listen to her before. <laughs> Just like <laughs> you listen to me, you forced me to listen to the um Hurdy Gurdy Man all the I time. Love that song. So like that's <laughs> Selena's mix in there too. <laughs> totally different vibes, but Yes, very true. <laughs> Randy's great taste in music. <laughs> I sound so weird. Okay. So I do have good taste in Selena though, because she's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the only one who loves her she is I'll tell you so (laughs) Selena was born on April 16th 1971 to a Mexican-American family in Lake Jackson Texas and her dad was actually a former musician so he was in a band called the Los Dinos in like the 50s and 60s and they played like 50s and 60s like (laughs) rock and pop like Mm -hmm. American music so like a little bit of like Frank Sinatra Totally. in there. That whole vibe. I like it. Yes. So they faced a lot of racism, which caused them to eventually disband because they just couldn't find success in Texas at the time. So all the band member... I said that weird. All the (laughs) band members were Mexican, American, Mexican American, but they played almost solely like white music. So as you can imagine, they could hardly ever book shows at establishments owned by white people. So on the rare occasion that they could, you know, obviously everyone didn't like it because people were racist. And yeah, then, and, you know, you could just have like a white band playing the same songs. Exactly. Everyone, that was everyone's mentality. So all the shows that they, most of the shows they had were at Mexican-owned establishments where they would be playing white music and then all the Mexican people would be like, no, play Mexican music. Right. So it's just kind of bad all around. Yes. Like, they just didn't really fit in anywhere and all this racism, like, caused them to 
you know, eventually realized that they weren't going to have success as a band doing what they wanted to do, which is so sad and just bums me out so much. Luckily, though, (laughs) Selena inherited his musical abilities. So she had an amazing singing voice. And by the time she was old enough to perform, the racism had simmered a little bit. It was still very much there. Like, it is still very much there in Texas and everywhere. But it had at least gotten to the point where people weren't, like, booing her when she was singing. Or at least everyone wasn't. So <laughs> at least everyone wasn't. There were a few in the back. There were. I mean, <laughs> I, I guarantee you today that if she were still alive performing in Texas, someone would be booing her like people right. are awful. Gross. So <laughs> so when Selena was 10, her dad decided to make a family band. That's so cute. Right. I mean, that's the response when you have like a talented kid is. Yes. Let's create something for you. I love yes, that. To create a nice little outlet. For that talent. I know. So supportive. I love that. Yes. Abraham, best dad of the the ever. (laughs) Best dad of the ever. (laughs) The official title. Yes. So the band featured Selena, her brother, A.B., and her sister, Suzette, and it was called Selena y Los Dinos, which is, if you remember, based on the the dad's band's name. Oh, my God. So pretty precious. I love it. Carrying on the legacy. (laughs) So her dad was the manager, and they traveled all around Texas playing both Tejano and American music. Well, Tejano is American music. White music. Mm -hmm. Um, Tejano and white American music. Notably, though, the family owned a Mexican restaurant in Lake Jackson, which was super popular because Lake Jackson was super white. So everyone went to the Mexican restaurant and loved it. And they played there almost every night. So, Tejano music, if you don't know, is music that is Mexican or Texan music with influences of American, like, traditional white pop music that was, like, either, was, like, brought over here from Europe. So, kind of, like, Mexican, so, specifically Northern Mexican music. Okay. Then it was, like, throwing some pop. You know, so a little dash of pop. It almost like some of it almost sounds like reggae in a way because it has like this really folksy like Mexican vibe. But then there's like some pop stuff like it's so hard to explain. I would suggest just looking up Selena's music because I don't know like what to compare it to because she's so one of a kind that like only she did it this way. So I can't say it's like anything else. So Selena was way more than that, though. She also had tons of hits that were, like, strictly 90s pop. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Dreaming of You and I Could Fall in Love. You've probably heard I Could Fall in Love with You. It, you probably didn't know that it was Selena mm-hmm. because it, it really sounds so, like, she takes all the Tejano influences out of it. It's very pop. Gotcha. So, okay, so that's what made her important. So, It wasn't just that she was this wonderful singer, and it wasn't just that she was, like, a Tejano artist. It's that she had a lot of crossover potential, meaning that she could cross over into, like, pop seamlessly and, like, exist there, and it make a lot of sense. When Selena becomes a teenager, her music career explodes. (laughs) So her family was still in the band, and her dad was still the manager, but the music, the outfits... The whole experience was centered around Selena. She was the front, front and center, and everyone was cool with it. 
which is kind of cool. Like the whole family was yes. like fine with her being front and center because she had that much star quality that everyone was kind of like, I need to get out of your way. Like you need to. Yeah. It's like we need to push you forward. And it doesn't really seem like it's out of stardom. It's about like the music more than anything. Right. And I think that also the family noticed that like they have potential to do something so cool, like make like have a Latina artist be big in America because she's the first one. She's like you think of Shakira, you think of Jennifer Lopez Mm -hmm. or like anyone like that. They didn't exist before Selena. Selena was the one who opened that door for them. Yeah, she built the platform. She did. It was awesome. In 1987, at the Tejano Music Awards, she wins both Best Female Vocalist of the Year and Performer of the Year. So she's, like, starting to win some awards, like, getting bigger and more popular and reaching across, like, not just Texas, but into the other states. (laughs) And then in 1989, she signs with Gold Records, which is a really big record company at the time. And in 1990, she has the first Tejano record to achieve gold status, meaning that it sold more than 500,000 copies. That's really impressive, especially for songs that are solely in Spanish. I think that's awesome. Yeah. It's so pivotal. It is. It's insane. So in 1992, Selena marries Chris Perez, which is the band's lead guitarist, and they're adorable. And then in 1994, she wins a Grammy. Of course she does. For Best American Artist. Mexican Artist. Mexican American Artist. <laughs> All those things are true. <laughs> did did that subcategory come about due to Selena's popularity or did that always exist at the Grammys? I don't know if it always existed, but it wasn't just because Selena. So their Mexican music was definitely like popular, but just not with a lead that was female. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So she is, like, rising through the ranks, like, nobody's business, starting to cross over. She even, like, opens boutiques called Selena, etc., which are, like, stores where she sells these outfits that she designed. Because, like, I mean, when I say she's a brand, like, I don't know how how else to say it. Like, that's what it was. She's an icon. I mean, and, I mean, just talking about, like, her iconic, like, purple outfit that she wore to that one concert. Even I know what that is. And I'm sure that people wanted to wear the clothing that she was wearing. So Mm -hmm. why not open a chain of boutiques? I think that's genius. And she had like these bras that she would put sequins on and then wear it with like a pair of jeans. It was like so cool. Love it. It's so 90s. Oh my God. Yes. It's awesome. So people start referring to her as the Mexican Madonna, which is like... (laughs) Madonna's bras were a little bit more exciting, I would say. Yes. A little bit more pointy. That is a point of distinction (laughs) is that I actually don't love that label for Selena because I think Selena was a lot more like, I don't want to like offend Madonna because she's freaking awesome too. But like (laughs) when Selena wore a bra, it wasn't like sexual. I mean, obviously she was sexy, but it was like so free spirited and just like, To celebrate her body and to celebrate dance, it wasn't strictly to be, like, sexy. And the whole time she's doing it, she's smiling and dancing around, like, 
Right. It wasn't really to celebrate sex. It was more to celebrate fashion and yeah. dance. Just and like dance. And really. <laughs> she wore them in a cute way. And Madonna wore them in a very overtly sexual way. Which is great, too. Both are good. I'm just saying the comparison doesn't really make sense to me. Because sure. she also, like, a lot of her popularity was when she was, like, a teenager and, be, like, into her early 20s. And... Like, Bitty Bitty Bum Bum, my favorite Selena song <laughs> since forever, is about her heart beating while she has a crush on someone. Like, <laughs> so her cute. music is really sweet and, like, kind of like Taylor Swift. Okay. You know, like, that kind of, like, teenage love vibes. Mm-hmm. But then she's also, like, kind of Jackson 5 vibes because she's, like, in the family band and, you know? <laughs> yeah, so she's Taylor Swift and the Jackson 5. Yeah, yeah. So, doing that. <laughs> So, okay, so everything's going great for Selena, and then she meets Yolanda Saldivar. She already sounds She's ominous. our enemy. We yes. don't like her. <laughs> she's our enemy. <laughs> All of our collective enemy. <laughs> I'm on board for this. <laughs> so Yolanda was a nurse, and she was just like a lady in her 30s living in Texas with this, like, obsession with Selena. But everyone in Texas was that obsessed with Selena. Like, it wasn't weird, and I don't really know what else to compare it to because there hasn't been anyone since Selena who, like, represented some, like, a group of people who had never been represented that people felt so strongly about that they were, like, obsessed. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, Beyonce. Let's add her in. Yes. The obsession people have with Beyonce translate that into yeah. so it's Selena, like, it but would, maybe like 10 times more. And they're like, oh my God. Yes, you get it. Okay. Finally. <laughs> I've expressed it. Okay. I need to stop explaining I, it now. I understand. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, it wasn't that weird. Even though Yolanda was being, like, a little fanatic. A little extra. Yeah. It was kind of fine. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> kind of fine. At the At the start. As time went by, she, like, gets more and more obsessed with Selena and essentially starts stalking her, like, showing up to all of her shows, calling Selena's family, like, because this the Quintanilla family was also very accessible to the Selena fan base, and Selena, like, was very, very serious about being a down-to-earth person for her fans because she recognized what was happening, you know, and she wasn't, like... She wasn't like, I'm special. She was just like, this just happened, and now I'm in this position. So, like, I'm, we're all this, you yes, know? Yeah. So, like, she would always talk to people and take pictures with people. She was never too good for anyone. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, when Yolanda's being, like, obsessed with her, she's almost, I don't want to, like, victim blame at all, but she's kind of, like, fostering that obsession by, like, being open to it. Right, and conversing with her and being involved with yeah. Yolanda, as she was with, I'm sure, most of her really passionate fans. Which, like, you don't want to do with a stalker, you know? No. But, like, I don't think she knew that that's what was happening. Right, because she had masses of people who were probably doing similar things and coming to multiple shows and coming to multiple signings, buying all of her stuff, etc. Yeah, exactly. So, so she's doing this, and then Yolanda calls Abraham the dad, like, multiple times trying to get a hold of the family, and she finally does, and what she was trying to call them so badly about was that she had the idea to start a fan club. 
And the family was like, hmm, okay, what do you want this fan club to be? And she was like, well, we could, like, send them merch and they could just have, like, access to Selena, like, book signings and – she didn't write a book um, (laughs) – poster (laughs) signings. Right, get, like, exclusive stuff. Yes. And pay, like, a fee. And have, like, a – yeah, have a dues to be in the club. Mm -hmm. So they were like, okay, like, that's actually kind of a good idea. And your – It actually is kind of a good idea. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's not a bad idea. And they were like, you're obviously really connected to this this club of people – or, like, who would be in the club because she goes to all of Selena's shows and, like, she knows all these people. She was, like, on a first-name basis with Selena because, like, that's how much she was just there – which is, like, such a stalker thing to do. <laughs> yeah. So, eventually, Selena's like, okay, you can start the fan club. So, they have a fan club. Going good for a while. So, then, that's around the same time that Selena opens the boutiques. I forgot to tell you. I told you that a little bit out of order. The boutiques happen in, like, the mid-90s, like, 95 mm-hmm. or something. And she had already known known Yolanda, and Yolanda had already been managing the fan club. So, she said... Like, why not bring Yolanda on as a manager of one of my boutiques because she's so good at managing. And she would, like, when people come into the boutiques, they would recognize her. Yeah, absolutely. Also, not a bad idea, but considering the way you introduced Yolanda, (laughs) I'm not sure that that was as great of an idea as it may have seemed originally. Me telling you that she's our enemy? Yes, I, for some reason, did something for you? That just speaks to me in this way. That makes me think she's maybe not the greatest person. That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to tell you a little bit about more about why Yolanda is not the greatest person. (laughs) So while at the boutiques and managing them, she starts getting a lot of possessiveness for Selena. So she would kind of talk about how they were like best friends and like, share these exclusive experiences she had with Selena to the other employees. But then like that just what, but that wasn't what the relationship was. She really misrepresented it. And then also like when Selena would come into the boutiques, she would be like, like, look at this idea I had. And like, look at all these displays I made, like really show off this work that wasn't hers. Like it was other people's hard work that she would pass off for hers. But like people were afraid of Yolanda, I think because she was like obviously like creepy and I think people read into that and I don't know I feel like no one really knew what to do about it right and I mean yeah what would you like it's kind of a difficult situation it is because it's like on one hand she's being like overtly a stalker and a creepy scary person but on the other hand it's the very first time like that I can think of that someone has had this level of importance I guess. So it's like, how do we interpret Yolanda's behavior because her obsession is kind of warranted for the caliber that Selena was? Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So like people were like very like confused as to like, is she being creepy or is she just being being obsessed in the way that we are all obsessed with her? Right. Exactly. And then the fact that she's helping Selena and you know, bringing her brand out to more people is also an added factor into how odd this entire situation is. Totally. Because then the obsession doesn't really become an obsession. It becomes an employment thing. And so she's an employee now underneath Selena's brand. So how do you deal with that? Maybe she's just being attentive because she wants to promote the fan club. 
yes. et cetera. All, all of what Yolanda does could be read one of two ways. Like, <laughs> and it's like really problematic. Yes. Because <laughs> Selena, being like the kind hearted person she is, chooses the like really innocent interpretation that like Yolanda's just really helpful and really, really into her and stuff like that. So, just a good person and wants to yeah. help. And yeah. then also Yolanda is like, so she's like 35, but she looks, weirdly looks older than that. Like I'll show you a picture later, but she kind of looks like she's like in her 50s and just didn't really have a lot going on in her life other than Selena. So I think that Selena also saw a woman who was kind of a little weird and like not accepted and she like Selena's just so kind. And so I think that she took her under her wing in a way, in a way and like gave her things to like make her feel important. And she was looking at it from like, Oh, I'll, I'll be nice to this person and like make them feel special. And you're never too busy to make someone feel special. No, that's so true. But maybe not. Watch out. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe selectively do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So this escalates like real quickly and I'll tell you about it in part two. (laughs) Woohoo. So thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.